We're really, really glad. And I love that statement. Church people can be normal. How about that? That's fantastic. Hey, if you're a guest visiting with us today, a huge welcome to you. We know that it can be challenging to go into a a new church environment. You wonder what's going on. Thanks for taking the risk with us. There are many uh, great churches, uh, Bible-believing churches in Fort Collins, Northern Colorado, and you've decided to be with us today. Thank you very much for that. There's a connection card in the back of the seat in front of you that can help you to connect with us, find out more information about ministries, all that's going on uh, at Timberline. And at the end of our service, a little later when we receive our offering, you can pop that connection card in if you would like. Uh, Our bulletin tells you lots of stuff about what's happening at Timberline and also our website as well is always up to date. But we hope you feel very welcome today. Uh, There's quite an important announcement I just want to highlight in the bulletin and, uh, and that is that we are looking for specific people to help us with the build out process of the Timberline Windsor uh, building. And you can look in the bulletin, you'll see a list of, of the, uh, the, the, the roles that we, we need. Uh, if you're a licensed uh, uh, person in terms of being a contractor or a subcontractor and you can help in these areas, and can I make that clear? I, I will not be volunteering. Uh, you guessed that, didn't you? Because if I build it, it's going to fall down. But um, if you are skilled in these areas, John, uh, John Saylor, our project manager, is at the Windsor table in the mall. Stop by and uh, see him. And you might be brand new to Timberline. You haven't got to be around here for a while before you can get involved with this. We would be uh, delighted and grateful for your skills. So take a look at that. Well, We are in the last of our How to Be a Hero series today, uh, continuing to look at Samson. And uh, this weekend's sermon, kind of sobering stuff really, sacrifice and tragedy. Uh, Samson had gone through a failed marriage. He had spent a lot of his time trying to wreak vengeance on his enemies, betrayed by his own people, then escaped from the hands of the Philistines. And then we read that Samson led Israel for 20 years. We don't really know what that looked like, the shape of his leadership. But if you were here last weekend, 24 years have elapsed between last weekend and what we're going to look at this weekend as we consider the famous Samson and Delilah story. So let's have a look at this. Uh, Judges chapter 16. One day, Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn, we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night, and then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver." Do you ever find yourself in a place where someone asks you a question and as you hear it, you think the answer to that question is really rather obvious? I don't know whether that happens to you. Kay and I were out uh, a few days ago. We went out for lunch and the lovely guy who was serving us 
uh, he came up to our table, welcomed us, and he said, what can I get you to drink? And uh, this always makes me nervous because I wanted to say iced water. But you'll understand that if I say water, no one will get what I'm talking about. And, and so what I try and do in these moments is impersonate the way I think that you say water. But it always comes out as water, water, water. I sound like a kind of inebriated New York hot dog salesman. <laughs> I'd like, I just water, please. So I, I put my order in, and this lovely guy, uh, he said, Sir, would you like ice in your iced water? <laughs> and I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. Seems rather obvious, really. I was on the phone, I was on the phone to my, my phone company. And you know when you get on the phone, they ask, you know what I'm talking about? They ask all those security questions, you know. Uh, what's your mother's maiden name? What's your pet's favourite colour? That kind of stuff. And uh, I'm on the phone to this lady, and she's a nice lady. She said, sir, uh, your wife, a Mrs. Lucas, is the primary account holder on this account. I said, I know that, yes. And she said, she said is, is she there with you? I said, well, yes, she is. She's right here. And then this lady, she said, now, Mr. Lucas, are you your wife's husband? And I, I said, yeah, yeah, that's, that's why I call her my, uh, my wife, yeah. <laughs> it really seems rather obvious to me. When you look at this story, the story of Samson and Delilah, you might ask, why, why, why Delilah? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't do that in the other services. It just came to me. That's, that's free for you. <laughs> Why would he go to Delilah? And the answer might seem rather obvious. Well, he's a stupid man. Stupid. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> and we can answer the question in a superficial manner, just thinking, well, yeah, you know, that's just the way men are, you know. That's a bad answer to the question. I want to suggest to us, that there are elements in this story, or elements in Samson's life. Yes, he was led by lust rather than wisdom. But I'd like to suggest that as we see him sleeping with his head on Delilah's lap, this is the one moment in his life where he feels at peace. And in that moment of false peace, because he was in great danger, he wanted someone somewhere to know him. This man, Samson, this Nazarite, vow that he had. The word Nazar means stranger. This sense of alienation that he felt. He wanted someone to know him and still love him. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what women, isn't that what men want? To be known and still be loved. In the beginning, God made everything and he made a declaration about everything he'd made. He said, it is good. And then he stopped and said, it is not good that man be alone. God identified the, the primary need in humanity that was lacking in the isolation of Adam as being a lack of relationship and intimacy, being known. 
And I don't think that just applies to marriage. This applies to human relationships. It's interesting that in the Old Testament, the term for a man having physical union with his wife, the term they use is, and he knew her. And here is Samson, the Hebrew is Kol Lebo. He told her his heart of hearts. Now that doesn't justify anything, okay? Let's get that absolutely clear. Have you, but have you ever heard someone that they've kind of messed up and they say, you know what, she just understands me. They're giving vent to the reality that even though they look for intimacy in the wrong place, they were looking for intimacy. I want to say it again, it does not excuse or justify bad behaviour. But I don't think that just looking at Samson as being an idiotic male is the way we should approach this episode. Now, what can we, what can we learn from him? I, I, I want to just say this. I believe that if we can listen to what God's Spirit wants to say to us today, that there are some principles in here that are life-changing and life-saving. So, Lord, help us. The first thing I want to say is that boundaries are blessings. If you're following in the bulletin, boundaries are blessings. Verse 3. Then Samson got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Have you ever noticed that Samson seems to have this thing with ropes and knots and gates I mean, he ties foxes' tails together, he, he gets tied up in ropes and then he breaks free, he breaks out of the city gates, he gets Delilah to tie him up and then he gets out of the, of the vines and the ropes. Samson is like an emotional Houdini. He's always escaping. The city gates were there for protection. They were 13 or 14 feet high and it's almost as if Samson says, Ha! I can take them. And he does. And I think we can, t we can take that view of proper boundaries that are God-given to us. Our culture screams at us, just do it. Sounds really cool, doesn't it? Sometimes it's really stupid. Maybe you, we've got personalities. Let me ask you this. Are you, have you got the kind of personality that when you see a prohibition, you view it as a challenge? Are you the kind of person, if you go walking in the park and you see a sign there, it says, do not walk on the grass. Or even, do not walk on the grass. <laughs> and you see the sign and something in you says, I've got to go for a stroll on the grass. <laughs> and we can view prohibition negatively, uncool, stifling, how wrong we are. Boundaries are blessings. I've told the story here before, forgive me, but when our son Richard, who's now 27, when he was two, we were on a long airplane flight and Richard decided it would be really fun to open the emergency exit of the plane. And it's got all this red lettering, you know, beware, danger, Achtung for German toddlers, you know, it's all... He's got his hand on the handle. I said, Richard, take your hand off the handle. And he looked at me and he asked me that question that all two-year-olds are obsessed with. You know that one. You were there, weren't you? 
And I search for some sensitive way to communicate to his fragile infant mind the implications of that which he is about to do. I said, Richard, if you open the door, we'll all be sucked out to a hideous death. You may sign up for my parenting seminars coming soon. And he looked at me as if to say, Dad, you're so boring. The movie's rotten. The food's lovingly been prepared by a demonized chef. All all I want to do is get out there and go for a walk. But listen, I knew what was behind the door. And God knows what's behind that boundary. Are some of us standing with our toes on a boundary line right now and we're going, why? I mean, this looks so cool. Boundaries are blessings. Secondly, secondly, people rarely fall, they tend to slide. People rarely fall, they tend to slide. Verse 15, this is Delilah now. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would have become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines. Come back once more, he has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids. How many braids? Seven braids of his hair. So he began to subdue him and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. We don't know really much about this, this woman, uh, Delilah. Probably a Philistine woman, the Bible doesn't say. Uh, some say she might have been a temple prostitute. One etymology of her name means woman of the night. There's a Jewish tradition that she was the younger sister of Samson's wife. You remember the gal that he was offered in her place and he turned her down. So she has reason to be ticked. The Philistine rulers come to her and they offer her 1,100 shekels each. Big discussion about how much that was. The closest I can get is about $15 million in today's money. Deal or no deal. Delilah said, deal. And she kept on asking. She initially used sensuality. I want to be appropriate in the way that I, I share what is a difficult story. But when I used to read this, I thought, oh, that's an interesting Old Testament thing. All this tying up with ropes and things. I think it's pretty clear what is going on here in the bedroom of these two. And then there's these four episodes when she's really trying to get Samson to tell his secret. And he, she asks him and he tells a lie and she says, you've made me a fool, you've lied to me. Then she tries again and she says, you, she says all this time you've been making a fool out of me. That's an interesting little tactic. We sometimes can use that in our relationships. You always leave the cap off the toothpaste. You always do. The third time she says, you don't really love me. That's interesting. Uh, his wife said that to him. 
You won't confide in me. Three times you've made a fool out of me. Samson, I'm counting. I'm mad. And then verse 16 says, With such nagging she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. Samson didn't fall. He slid. He's gradually worn down. People don't get up in the morning and say, I think I'll make a disastrous choice today. Completely destroy my life. Yes. Can and I were in Australia. We went to see, we were in Melbourne. We went down the Great Ocean Road and there is, there's a series of rocks out in the ocean. They're called the Twelve Apostles. And we stopped the car and I said, Honey, look at that. It's the Twelve Apostles. And she said, That's very beautiful, but there's only eight. And I said, Don't be ridiculous. They're called the Twelve Apostles. There must be twelve. And she said, No, you go ahead, count. Use both hands if it helps. I mean, you know, they're... There were only eight. There were only ever nine. When they named them the Twelve Apostles, there were only nine, but the Australians decided it would be good for tourism if they called them twelve. Do you know why there's only eight and why there'll only be seven soon? It's because the relentless tides wears away that limestone rock by about an inch a year. Rock eroded gradually. That's what happened to Samson. I've got a question. It's, it's, it's not, do we think we could slide? Here's a question that's a bit more poignant. Is it possible that we might be in the process of a slide now? That we're already along the pathway? It's a question to ask the Lord to help us in. The first thing is that what we play with can make a plaything of us. What we play with can make a plaything of us. Samson is captured, they put his eyes out, they take him to prison, uh, they put him to work. And then verse 25, while the Philistines were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them. Now, I mean, what do you mean he performed for them? Did he do like karaoke or a bit of juggling? You know, what, what, what did he do? Well, again, I want to be sensitive here, but the word performed is letzahak danu, which means an erotic display. It's the same word that is used in the Joseph story when Joseph was accused of molesting Potiphar's wife. Uh, this man was brought out and was used in a depraved show for his enemies. You see, what we play with will end up making a plaything of us. And how he was a plaything. The Talmud, the Jewish Talmud, has a tradition that when Samson was in prison, Philistine women would come and insist that he father children with them. He was used. He placed himself in such danger. He played with fire. When he went to Gaza, that was 45 miles from his home, Philistine stronghold. He flirted with Delilah. Her name Dala in the Arabic means to flirt. And he played with fire. When she's trying to get his secret, do you remember how many braids of hair he had cut off? Seven. What's your secret, she says. He says, well, tie me up with seven tendons or vines. He's giving her her hint. Come closer, honey. Oh, no, not too close. But he's dropping a hint. 
Then he says, tie me up with new ropes. And then he says the third time, tie the seven braids of my head to a weaver's loom, which was a piece of machinery. This is really weird. So now he's got really close to his secret. The seven braids of his hair, he's not quite given the secret away. He's almost, but not quite. You ever played that when you were a kid? You played with fire, you put your hand up towards the flames and you got as close as you, as close as you could. And but then you had to go back again, didn't you? You did it again. Look at this. Seven vines, Delilah. <laughs> Oh, not really. Uh, tie my seven braids to that. Oh, no, no, that wasn't right either, was it? He always thought he could get out. And he played with fire. And they shaved those seven braids. And she calls him again. The Hebrew means to torture him. They gouge his eyes out. He's grinding at a flour mill, the lowest kind of slave labor. The Greeks and Romans reserved flour grinding for slaves being punished. And overnight, everybody, this man's life is transformed. This man, whose life was governed by what he saw, is now overnight blinded. This man who had a life of coming and going as he wanted to is imprisoned. This man who had spent his life insulting and humiliating others is now the object of humiliation. The man with the highest conceivable calling is grinding flour in prison. What are we playing with? What are we playing with? And please know this. God loves us and wants us to enjoy a sense of dignity. When he places boundaries and when he says no and when he points out the fact that we're playing with fire, I want to say this again. He's not messing with our lives. He has the best way for us. What are we playing with? Well, the last thing is this. Remember that we represent Christ. Remember that we represent Christ. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God. And to celebrate, saying, our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God saying, our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. I, w I want us to see this. Samson is captured and he doesn't just ruin his reputation, he ruins God's reputation. Because these people think that their false God is the reason for his capture. It's interesting when Samson was talking to Delilah about his secret, he doesn't name God specifically. He says, I've been Nazarite, set apart for God. But he uses the word Elohim, which is a name used of God, but it can refer to any God. It's kind of like he says, yes, honey, I'm a, bit, I'm a bit spiritual in a very vague kind of way. Elohim. He's sort of embarrassed as well he should be. But he never quite got the fact that when he messed up, he made God look bad. Billy Graham 
eloquently says, we are the Bibles that the world is reading. People are looking at us to try and figure out if our God is worth following. Now, that's a big responsibility, isn't it? It's also encouraging, too, because if we're representing God, then he will empower us as he sends us. It's not all about what we can do. And yet, let's realise that people are looking at us. And when we mess up, we sully the reputation of, of God. That, that's one of the reasons that I love Sarah Kelly's statement, church people can be normal. I love that. I don't want to be the same as everybody else in the sense of being normal, because we are called to be distinct people. But have you, have you ever met a Christian who's so spiritual, they're just flat out weird? And every time they go into their office or whatever, they, they say something and people around them, they kind of go, ooh. I don't want to be normal in the sense of conforming, but I don't want to be abnormal in the sense of being weird. Because if I'm weird, then people are going to look at me and they're going to think that Jesus is weird. Well, we come to the end of his life. They bring him out to entertain them again. This blinded man, broken. And he puts his hands on the pillar of the temple. And he prays the greatest prayer of his life. It's not a perfect prayer. A lot of it's about him and vengeance again. But as he prays in the Hebrews, ladies and gentlemen, he doesn't just say Elohim, kind of God generally. He cries out. Adonai, Yahweh, Elohim, Sovereign, Lord, God. They're all giving praise to Dagon. And Samson's final prayer, I can almost, I want to be there as I hear his voice reverberate out there. Adonai, Yahweh. And the temple collapses. And he dies. You know, I'm challenged because in his last moments, he salvages a legacy. I wonder what our legacy is going to be. What will your legacy be? And maybe, as we draw this to a close, maybe someone's thinking, yeah, it's too late for my legacy. My reputation's well known among my family and friends. It's too late. You know what? It's never too late. When I turn to Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11 is the great hall of faith chapter. It's the celebration of the great heroes of the faith. Uh, look, at, look at these words from Hebrews 11. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Look at these fantastic words. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has opened a city for them. What an amazing statement. God's not ashamed to be called their God. And then the great well-known heroes of the faith like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses are listed. And then there's a surprise. Because it goes on to say, And what more shall I say? I do not have the time to tell about Gideon, Barak, 
Samson? What? There? Hebrews 11? Yeah. That says to us that God doesn't only remember our fragilities, but celebrates our faith. But it also says to us that it's never too late to change your legacy. It is still possible for us to live heroically in the name of and through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you today because as we've been thinking about this fragile, messed up man who failed in so many ways, there are lessons that we can learn as we see him carrying off gates and breaking out of ropes and always being challenged by boundaries. Gradually sliding, the rock that was Samson being eroded day after day as Delilah prodded him day after day until he was tired to death, your word says. And we see him not realizing that what we play with can make a plaything of us. Lord, as we see all of this, we realize what a gift boundaries are to us. That we do not need to despise them or mock them. But boundaries that come from you are blessings. Now help us by your spirit in this moment. I'd like us to keep our heads bowed for a moment longer. And I want to ask a very, very specific question. In asking us to respond today, both in this auditorium and in the south, I'm not asking you to respond if you're just challenged or there's something that God is saying broadly to you. I'd like to ask you to respond today very, very specifically because right now you have your toes on a boundary line and this week you've been thinking, ah, doesn't matter. Who cares? Who's watching? I'll get away with it. It won't hurt me. And you are right on the brink of stepping over that boundary and in this moment something life saving could happen as I look around wherever you're seated in whichever auditorium if you specifically are in that place and you want to say I'm going to step back from that line I'm going to open my eyes and I'm going to see while I still can if that's where you're at can I ask you please just for a moment to slip your hand up would you do that? as a way of saying okay that's where I'm at many of us doing so thank you you can put your hands down we pray Lord for people with their toes on the boundaries we pray that wisdom will be theirs that strength will be theirs to resist the enemy who is patient and who is willing to wait and just keep on May he receive the same response from us every time the temptation comes. We pray too, Lord, for those of us today who know that our legacy is something that we want to change. And we would like 
We would like to be able to say that our legacy includes our crying out of your name. Grant us hope. Grant us strategy. Show us, Lord, steps that we can take that things might be different. Thank you that we don't walk in this by ourselves. You, Spirit of God, will empower us as we choose well. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Let's sit up together. We are going to continue our worship now in our giving. As always, thank you for your faithfulness and your stewardship in giving. If you're a guest with us, you don't have to give, but now is the moment, please, to pop that uh, connection card into the offering as the plate comes by. I would like to ask our ushers to right away go ahead, please, and just begin to receive the offering. And we're going to, to sing about making God's name famous in the very best sense of that word. So let's worship, let's give, and let's sing together. We want to make you famous with our song and with our applause. But most of all, Lord, we want to make you famous with our lives. And so help us this week. Go with us now, we pray that people will bump into us, and as they do so, they will bump into you, Lord Jesus, risen Saviour. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. The bump into bit shouldn't be taken too literally for the parking lot leaving part. Prayer team will be here uh, to pray with you if we may. We would love to. God bless you. Have a wonderful weekend. Lots of bikes are about to be around here. Should be fun.